Your Hollywood system stole our sex and co-opted our violence, so there's nothing left for our kinds of movies. <laughs> I did not hit her. It's not true. Clopex. 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 Up yours, baby. Me and Bubba, my little brother, listen to you every night. Where in the hell are we? I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hey guys, thanks for joining us. We are very excited to bring you our Phoenix Film Festival episode. I do want to apologize, though, for taking so long to get this out. I apologize to all the filmmakers, everybody at Phoenix Film Festival and the sci-fi and horror, because we just had some technical technical difficulties and we had to get this, this stuff worked out. Uh, we did. We figured it out. Now here's the show. Thank you so much for listening to it. We really appreciate it. And, and just thank you for understanding. I hope you guys enjoy it. Hey guys, welcome to Cult Film and Review, the podcast where we discuss the films you love and no one else gets, and we see if they still hold up. Today, not tonight, we are actually at the Phoenix Film Festival, and we are going to be talking to some filmmakers, actors, actresses, and just see how they're enjoying the festival, talk to them about their movies. This is usually the only episode that we do with current films is, is here at the Phoenix Film Festival. So as always, I am joined by Michael Salustio. Hey, everybody. Chris Wollenbrecht. Hey, what's up? And Kyle Smith. Hey, how's it going? And I am Cody Everett, your gracious host for today. So let's just get into it. Uh, festival yesterday was um, the industry party. Yeah, sure was. And um, we partied. Yep. Yep, we did. Didn't we say we were going to be schmoozing, boozing, and what was it? Carousing. Bu- carousing. <laughs> busting loose. Uh, I, I, thought, I, I thought it was uh, Chris Wilmbrecht. Schmoozing, boozing, not introducing. Yeah. <laughs> That's, right. <laughs> That's right. I forgot Whoops. that. <laughs> hey, I did better this time. You actually did do yeah. better. Yeah. You did yeah. do better. You actually did introduce people to yeah. us. Chris knows every, everyone in, in the film industry here in Arizona. We know no one. That's not true. Come on. You guys know all the same people I do. Uh, uh, I doubt that highly. I doubt yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. All right, well. well, you know all the hundreds of people that I know. I know well, like two. Yeah. <laughs> well, we know Monty because he was on the show, mm-hmm. and uh, well, we met a lot of people last year. I mean, that was kind of the, the the great part about being invited to do something like this is you get to meet a lot of the people in the community here in Phoenix. That's true, yeah. and we did meet a lot of them. Um, you know, and, and and a couple of them were out last night. Yeah. I heard that somebody even uh, sang a little karaoke last night. Who was that? Who's Who? sang karaoke? Who? I heard that that uh, someone had to get on stage. Yeah, I, I, I might have done that. <laughs> you want to give us a little recap? I'm so of sad how that I went? missed it. What songs did you do? You, I did my old standby, which is uh, I believe in a thing called "Love by yeah. the Darkness." And you kill it every time. I've heard it. Ah, uh, man, I don't know about this time though. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know about Desiree this has time. the video. We'll be putting that up on cultfilmandreview.com. I mean, or we, or, or we don't have <laughs> to. You can follow that on our Instagram <laughs> at cultfilm underscore review. Or you don't. Or you don't have to. <laughs> You don't we have do. to. We do. You don't. Have to, yeah. You don't have to do that. No, that should go up. Yeah. That's yeah. like that's you know that's that's showing personality right all there. Right, just that's all you did though. Find the best clip. That's though. all you did. Oh did you, I did, no, I didn't get any other requests after that one. <laughs> oh, if I if I was here, it would have been Queen. Oh man, I I wanted you know. to do Princes of the Universe. Tonight. That's true. I wanted to do Princes of the Universe so bad. I wish you had. 
I know. I, pro- I, I, probably, I, I probably would have rocked the whole room. I, I definitely I definitely had a lot of liquid courage in me yeah. mm-hmm. going up there. and I, yeah, uh, A lot of liquid I myself. I think everybody else think was, it was, showing. was at the same level that we were, so it's probably not a big deal. Uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't had somebody come up to me and be like, oh, there's that guy. Is that weirdo? More, it's like... Uh, I don't know. think that happens with karaoke because the, the, the accepted rule is everybody is drunk and probably sucks. So you can't you can't be like the next day be like, "Bro, what were you doing with Bohemian Rhapsody?" Oh my god. Yeah, it's not like an American Idol. Yeah. That was the the worst. That was the worst, the worst rendition of Adele's <laughs> I don't know some song by her. I got nothing. He's okay. got nothing. He's got nothing. All right, guys. You won't hear much from me the rest of the episode, though, because I will be passing off my microphone to the guests. So uh, I will say goodbye now to oh. our, my, all my lovely fans. I know it's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be really hard to sit through an episode without me <laughs> quipping, but um, I think you'll be okay. We had a hard time partying without you. That's for sure. I know. I was really bummed. I was really that's bummed. That's all right. But that's it was right. gonna have to go hard on the next episode and really bring you know, bring <laughs> <Yeah>. the fire. <laughs> Going hard. All right, guys. We're with gonna Kyle s- Smith. <laughs> we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to some people from the Phoenix Film Festival. Let's do it. All right, guys. So we're about to sit down with uh, Chantel Albers and Jamie Bernadette from the movie The Sixth Friend. Um, if you don't know what it's about, I can give you a little bit of a brief synopsis. I'm sure they'll give you one, too. But on the night of their college graduation, six friends dip into the world of psychedelics and experience the magic that turns into a haunted nightmare. Vengeance will be wrecked, changing them forever by adding fame, shame, and years of regret to their lives. Years later, the girls reconcile only to endure a night of horror, this time through the paranormal. So we're rolling whenever we can just yeah go into it. Um, We've already introduced you guys without you being here, so uh, just to get that going and give a synopsis of the film. But if you guys would like to tell us about The Sixth Friend, I'd really like to hear about it. Well, um, yeah, it's a horror movie that we produced and acted in together, and Jamie also co-wrote it with our uh, director. And it's sort of a psychological uh, slasher film. Um, It's not too gory, though. It's more about the paranormal aspect and... um, the chase, and then we also, uh, it's female directed, female produced, female main cast, female written, and so we're trying to, um, you know, have like a women empowerment kind of with the movie as well. I love that, totally. Um, So the the movie involves uh, psychedelic drugs, correct? It does. Is that that based on any kind of real experience, or why did you want to bring that element (laughs) into the film? (laughs) It sort of uh, creates like a the beginning is kind of cool. Like we both really like the movie um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of like cool effects that happened. And we thought that might be a good way to start off the movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, visually as anyway. Yeah. I'm trying to think when I wrote it, cause I wrote it about like two years before I met Chantel and I'm trying to think of what inspired that. I, I don't think anything in particular inspired me mm. to bring that aspect into it. I just knew that I wanted like a really shocking opening. Right. So, um, yeah, I came up with that. I don't know. But I do I do like the drug aspect. Um, like Chantel said, it makes it interesting. And and uh, it really shaped the rest of the script, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. think it, like, provides, like, a vulnerability and, you know, like, kind of, like, a room to get even more creative with the film? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah, it sort of makes the movie your paint or your canvas a little bit. You get to... Do a lot of fun things in post and do cool things with camera angles and so it gave our dp a lot of creative ability to 
you know, to make it look cool and stuff. So that's yeah. awesome. Very yeah, the cool. effects are great like right in the beginning of the film. So I think it grabs people's attention mm-hmm. for sure. So right it's interesting. Yeah, that's what you want, right? Right in the beginning? Keep yep. them going the whole ride. <laughs> yeah. well, they say the first 10 pages, you know, you got to really hook somebody in. So Yes, exactly. Great. And that's what I was trying to do mm-hmm. when I when I wrote it. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So with, with bringing all these people together, especially just focusing mostly on using like women in general and empowering that, how long did it take you to, to, to get this movie off the ground and get going? Um, actually, um, I met Chantel on a film called Axeman, and we went for a hike uh, one day lost. on our day off. We got really <laughs> lost, and we had to end up hitchhiking back. Like, it was a three-hour hike in Big Bear, California. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was saying, hey, I have this, this horror script, and she was like, awesome. Well, you know, I have some money, and, you know, I was like, fantastic. And we were like, let's produce it together, and... That's kind of how it happened. But the script was like 75% completed. Um, so the money came in actually fairly quickly. So I had to like hurry and, and finish the, the last of the script. So you had to finish the ending of the, of the script or was it? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. With, now, with that being on a short amount of time and not having an ending... Like, oh, I knew that, where it was going. Oh, you knew where it was going. Oh, though? for okay, sure. Good. Yeah, that yeah. was before I even started writing. I, was like, panic I, mode? I knew Were you where in it. Panic mode? Oh no, <laughs> I knew where it was going, and I write really fast. So, and you know, we had time after that. Like, we brought the director on, and she had amazing ideas, and brought oh, yeah. the script to a no, whole other level. So, you know, she wrote the second draft, and then she and I bounced it back and forth like nine times. So, you know, we had time to work in the script, and then when we got the location, things in a script will change because, like, I had originally written like this barn scene, but we didn't have a barn available to us mm-hmm. where we we're shooting. So the script changed a lot, and and yeah, so I definitely had more time with the script before we started shooting. And I even know, just as an actor, it's nice to work with people like Jamie and Leisha that are willing to let the script breathe and, you know create some room for actors to not necessarily improv or go off the script, but just like, you know, like you said, we wrote a barn in it. We didn't have a barn. Okay, change it. It's okay. You can let it breathe, let it evolve a little bit. And we, you know, we did that um, with some characters too. You know, we did have some takes where we were able to improvise and then cut Mm -hmm. it together. And I think that's where you get some of your most genuine moments as an actor Mm -hmm. is when you can just go off the cuff a little bit and... We love to do that. We love to play. So, <laughs> so yeah, you ladies are do. pretty much um, heavily involved in like independent horror. Is that like your bread and butter? Is that something that you just love? Is the genre like, you know, something that you're both very passionate about? Or do people just keep calling you because you're really good in these films? <laughs> well, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, we've both grown up really liking horror a lot, but I love doing comedy as well. But you know what? There's a lot of comedy in horror. So, especially The Sixth Friend, we've got some good comedic moments, but um, I love doing theater as well. I have a theater background, so um, I like doing improv, comedy, drama, horror, all of it, you know. Um, for me, I loved horror since a child. I was obsessed with it. I would I watched like a Nightmare on Elm Street like forty or fifty times. I would act out all the scenes when I was like nine years old. I would make my friend play Tina, and I was Nancy. Like, <laughs> I mean, I was obsessed. I loved Halloween. It terrified me, but I was obsessed. So I think it was always where I was going. Now I'm not, you know, pigeonholed into that genre. Um, like I do comedy, I just booked a really heavy drama, you know, so, um, yeah, I'm open to everything as an actress, but I love what you can do in horror as an actress because you can play terror and grief and, you know, get all across the emotional 
board that's available to you. Um, so it's it's a fun realm in which to create. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Cool. Very cool. So got a couple questions here for you. A little little off, uh, you know, away from the film you guys are here representing, The Sixth Friend. What what do you think a cult film is? What makes a cult film? Well, let's see. Rocky Horror. What did they? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> you know all the horror movies. Um, something that I think speaks universal, and also something that is a little out there. I think all the cult films have. They're not a slice of life. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a heightened sense of reality. And maybe it's sort of a way to escape for the audience a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not, I don't think cult films are super realistic. Right. They do give you that creative uh, space, like for the director and the DP to do, you know, cool stuff and as an actor to go off mm-hmm. the cuff a little bit too. What do you think, Jamie? I think it's, I think that was well kind of said. an original, yeah. original, originality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I um, think, yeah, I agree with that. Do you think it's possible to create a cult film or do you feel like the fans create the cult film? The fans. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the fans do it, so definitely. Do you guys have a favorite? You know what? I I love Rocky Horror, and I don't know, is Beetlejuice considered a cult film? Because that was a movie I loved growing up. Mm-hmm. Beetlejuice and Scream were my two like mm-hmm. comedy horror and slasher horror movies that I was really into. Okay. So I would definitely put Beetlejuice in, the, in that category. Yeah. 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 Nice fucking model, Anton. <laughs> I always thought I was getting away with something when I saw that scene because, you know, I was a little kid. Yeah, and I'm yeah, like, yeah. oh, I just heard a cuss word. <laughs> the dead prostitutes that love Beetlejuice in this little teeny tiny house. Right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> Any favorites for you? Oh, I spit on your grave, of course. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a heavy one. Yeah, that's, that's kind of that's a pretty dark film. It is. I always loved it, and I'm gonna be in the sequel. So oh, yeah, right yeah. So of course, that's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. So is this your guys' first time at the Phoenix Film Festival? Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. We love it. We love it. They have if, treated us so well. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, if you're it's a fantastic. filmmaker, come here. Yeah, it's fantastic. awesome. Really. The opening party, and they, yeah. you know, we had a filmmaker dinner beforehand. Yeah. Dinner, so and welcoming. Drinks and yeah, the opening night was drinks and right. food and like just is awesome yeah. music. They give you a festival liaison, so if you have any yeah. questions mm-hmm. or something's mm-hmm. wrong or, like, you're, there's people you can contact, right. and it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're very accommodating here. Absolutely. Even yes. for a small podcast like us, yes, right, guys? They have, they, have, <laughs> they have been accommodating yeah. for us. Monty's Free great. water. I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, any upcoming projects for you both? Yeah, mm-hmm. I've got a movie coming out called Reawakened. Um, it is another horror movie. And it's actually about demon possession, and I get to play a detective in it. So that was kind of cool. I've never gotten to play a detective nice. before. And so there's, like, all these um, murders that start happening, and uh, there's kids involved. So it's I think it'll be cool. Um, and then there's another one that we're going into development with. It's um, called Bail Runners, and it's actually a modern-day Western that would feature uh, the first— uh, it would be, like, a first mainstream movie to feature a Native American lead as the hero. So— Awesome. Yeah, they're thinking of West Studi for that. That's great. So, That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Jamie? Um, well, as I mentioned, I have Ice Spit on Your Grave Deja Vu on its way out. Um, they're about to picture lock, and it's a sequel to the 78 original film. It has the same uh, writer-director as the original, Mayor Zarki. Camille Keaton comes back. Um, 
to reprise her role as Jennifer Hills, and I play her daughter. Um, I'm the lead, so that's it's, it was really fantastic shooting in that. In the film, I've actually seen a cut, and it's really good, and I think fans will really, really enjoy it. Um, cool. Yeah. Um, and then I have another film called State of Desolation that I also produce that. Um, it's a feature, and I star in it with Craig Stark. He was in Django Unchained and uh, Hateful Eight. And yeah, we're about to picture lock on that. It's a post-apocalyptic film about a relationship between, uh, like a father-daughter relationship. We're not father-daughter, Craig and I, but um, we meet during the apocalypse and we're traveling. And it's a beautiful film. It has horror elements, but it's a drama and it's a tearjerker. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Do you guys have any advice for like, um, you know, actors getting into independent film? or film in general, actors or directors or producers. It seems like you guys do it all, so. Yeah, uh, I would say get a team together. Like, I couldn't have made this movie without Jamie. I When I moved to L.A., people said, if you really want to work, create your own stuff. And I thought, are you kidding me? Um, I went to theater school. I didn't go to film school. I don't know how to produce. But, you know, you do a few, a few movies, and then you meet people, and you get together, and... You know, we sort of took my knowledge and Jamie's knowledge and Leisha, our director's knowledge, and Chris, our DP's knowledge, and you get four heads together, and it's like, okay, yeah, let's let's do this. So I I couldn't have done it without my team. That's the number one advice I would say is do favors and be nice and make friends and get them together and create. There's no competition if you can create. You will keep working if you don't cut people down and don't make them your competition. Make them your your coworker in a way. Yeah, same. I was going to say the same, like create your own work. Don't wait for someone to do it for you. Like if you can write, write and sell your script and say, I need to be in it. You know what I mean? If you want my script and I mean, you have to think outside of the box and not just sit and wait like for an agent to get you a job. So you really have to be a go-getter. And I think too, it's your own business. You're your own boss. So I think you have to really be really focused and hardworking. Like, I feel like I literally work seven days a week. Like, that doesn't mean I never take a vacation, but what it takes is just some serious dedication. And I think persistence, like not giving up and, and keep going. I think the reason people don't make it is just because they give up, you know, and they, they move away, they let it go. They, you know, and that's fine. But yeah, if you want to make it, I think persistence is key. All right. Well, thank you. Well, you can go back to your movie. Thank you for oh, calling we out. Did, we didn't mean to cut it short. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. Come on. <laughs> no, no. It's, it's definitely fine. Um, we appreciate you guys coming on. And where can uh, people find The Sixth Friend? Where can they get in touch with this film? How can they get involved, see it? Where can they Well, right now you? you can watch the trailer. The trailer is online. You can check out our stuff on IMDb. The movie's not released yet, so you can't see it anywhere online. You can check it out at one of our festivals that we have coming up. Um we play tomorrow at noon for Phoenix Locals. If you want to come check it out, we would love to have you here. And we'll do a Q&A and meet and greet with you afterwards if you can come out and see the movie tomorrow. Tomorrow at noon at the Any other Parkins upcoming Theater. festivals, um, you know, maybe the next month or two that is going to be playing at? Um, we're not we're able not, to release yeah. those oh, details gotcha. yet. Okay. It's confidential. Yeah. But you can follow us on our Twitter, um, The Six Friend, and our Instagram, The Six Friend, and Facebook, Facebook The Six Friend. Um, and we will definitely post updates on there. And like everything you like. <laughs> yes. And share. And Love share. Please help and us get the word out. And tag. <laughs> 
Awesome. Any social media you guys want to plug for yourselves? Um, yeah, I'm at Miss, M-I-S-S underscore Shani, C-H-A-N-E. Shani was my childhood nickname, so I'm Miss Shani, and that's what my mom used to call me. So that's what I am on Instagram, and I'm just Chantel Albers on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter yet. I am on Twitter, but I haven't been on it in a while, so... I need to get back on. I'm under Chantel Albers on Twitter as well. So um, I'm Jamie Bernadette on Instagram. It's spelled just like my name. And uh, then on Facebook, I'm Jamie Bernadette fan page. And also my regular page, Jamie Bernadette. I keep it pretty much public. And yeah, I have my follow too. button turned on so you can follow me. And, um, and then on Twitter, I'm Jamie Bernadette without the E on the end of my name. So it's J-A-M-I-E-B-E-R-N-A-D-E-T-T. All right. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate it. And hopefully we see you down the road. All right. right. Thank, thank you, you so guys much. for having us. It's it fun. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks for coming out uh, and bringing your film out to the Phoenix Film Festival. We appreciate it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your film, what you worked on your film, what you did? Hello, Internet. Uh, my name's Julian Fort. I'm the writer, director of the feature film, The Midnighters, and I'm sitting next to... Uh, my name is Adam Carl. Uh, I'm a friend of Julian's, and I produced the film with him. Nice. All he right. has a yeah. really beautiful voice in that mind. He does. Well, you got a really good radio voice. <laughs> Mellifluous. <laughs> the vocabulary. It's amazing. So tell me about your film. Uh, it's a throwback to 1970s crime cinema. Um, it stars uh, Leon Russom, who is the world famous for playing the Sheriff of Malibu in The Big Lebowski. And uh, he plays a 35-year uh, ex-con. He's been in prison for 35 years, and he gets out. He's the world preeminent analog safe cracker. And uh, he can't adjust to the world and finds out that he has a long-lost son who uh, also has fallen uh, into nefarious deeds, and uh, he has to save his life, possibly, if he can. Nice. And, and that's sort of the, we take it from there. We take it from there. Uh, what inspired you to, to basically use this story and come up with this story and, and, and run with it? It, it's, it, it was very simple. I, I became friends with, uh, with Leon while we were hanging out at a coffee shop in L.A. I was writing other scripts. I gave him one. He dug it. Um, a couple weeks later, I, I didn't have the money to make the script that he, he really was into. And uh, I just said, look, if, if I wrote you a script, would you be interested? Um, and and if, you, if you wanted to play any role, what would it be? And he said, uh, uh, I'd like to play a father who needs to help their child out of some, uh, some problem. That's all he gave me. And I just said, can I do it in the crime world? Can I set it there? And he was like, sure. And... I just ran away and, and wrote something as quick as I could just so I could, you know, give it to him. Wow. And uh, it, came, it came out well. He dug it, and we, the ball was rolling. And, and, then I, he, and then he gave it to me and said, do you think we could do this for X amount of dollars? And I said, a bank vault? Seriously, dude? Uh, but we somehow managed to pull it off. So How long yeah. did it take you to write it? Uh, I think the first draft, um, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I, I remember hearing screenwriters say like three you know three days yeah right and i'm like can can we curse on this yeah, thing? you can oh, absolutely okay, good curse. good that's gonna yeah. take a lot of pressure off and i was like <laughs> are you fucking kidding me yeah <laughs> three, you know it took me uh like maybe four months to get the first draft out and then i went through combing it for another two months three months after that and, uh 
presenting it to Adam. Did you wait to show it to Leon until it was... I waited. You know, it's funny. I waited. Leon's such a funny guy. I, I waited uh, until the perfect moment to give it to him. It took me probably seven months to give it to him. And I gave it to him right as he was taking a cross-country road trip with his son to take him away to college for the first time. And Leon's, you know, he's, a, he's an elderly, he's an AARP member. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. so, you know, it's a, it, 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 I gave it to him. He took off and I didn't hear from him for like, like three weeks. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's that. Yeah, that's the end of that. Yeah, and, right. and then one night I pull up in front of the coffee shop and he's like dancing up and down. He's pulling at my shirt going, I, I love that. What, can, we, can we do this? Can we do a bank vault for... Are you, and I'm like, we're going to try. If you like it, you know, let's go get the money, you know. So that was, yeah. I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, I no, hope no. I did. You really got him that script at a sentimental moment, though, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was a per- perfect it was time. really the perfect place, right? <laughs> right. He's going, Did you think that at the time? You were, like, right. handing it over, like, this is going to go over real well. Real it's either well. going to go over real well or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and then it took us, like, two years to get the, uh, to get the thing up and off the ground, you know, because we... We didn't, you know, we don't come from, we don't have a trust fund. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, mm-hmm. yeah. You got to work to get it, right? You, oh, yeah. I mean, we're privileged, day. but we're not privileged privileged. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. We're generally privileged. Right. But right. Not specifically. Not privileged. movie yeah. privileged. Right. Exactly. Movie we're first privileged. world privileged right. for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Where can people find your movie? Right now, it is uh, festival circuit only. And we do have a website? Yeah, we do. We do. It's, uh, it's www.themidnightersmovie.com. Uh, Nice. And where can people follow you guys at? Do you have any like social media that you want to plug for yourselves? Okay. Sure. I mean, they can find me uh, on Twitter uh, at Adam Who. Is that W H O? W H O. Adam he, Who. He's he he's a he really tweets well. Well, that's very <laughs> kind of you. No, you do. You tweet well. You you. It, it, it's, it's a skill. It's a skill. You well, got a master. And, and you got a master often, medium. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. Yes, he's. And, and you, uh, I, Facebook, you know, uh, I, I, uh, they can find the Midnighters on Facebook. They could, the fi- yeah. they could find the Midnighters on Facebook. There's a Midnighters uh, Instagram page at the Midnighters Movie or Instagram Midnighters Movie, um, and I have an uh, an Instagram page called uh, Luther Vig, Julian Fort, but the name is Luther Vig V I G. Uh, I I take pretty photos like everybody else. <laughs> takes very pretty photos. He's a very good photographer. And before we let you guys go, uh, what I, we want to know is what is your favorite cult film? Oh, wow. 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 You're really, he, this is like the cinema guy. Like, he's the cult film guy. So I feel like he would be better to answer you know, this. Uh, it, it, there's two, well, my my number one, I'm a huge Russ Meyer fan. Okay. So all Russ Meyer movies pretty much are perfect art to me. Yeah. Uh, and to many other people. But I also, there's this movie, and I'm sure you guys have heard of it, called Black Devil Doll from Hell, which is... Um, it is truly the underground. It, it's a movie made on VHS in 1984, uh, around 1984, in, I think, Chicago, by a guy who, who is, didn't know anything about making movies. He just knew he wanted to make one. And he makes one about uh, a woman uh, in an African-American neighborhood in Chicago who finds uh, a doll in a, in a pawn shop. And it turns out to be this possessed... Uh, it's, like a, it's like a ventriloquist you know, marionette puppet that ends up raping her and possessing her for the next, like, 80 minutes. And it's it's a work of wow. art. Wow. If you're into that kind of thing. So. I've, I've tried to watch that film okay. for so long, I can never find where, do you, where you even see it. Like, 
It's not something that I see on Amazon There's Prime, a- you know? <laughs> but I've heard about it because I heard it actually on another podcast that somebody oh, was okay. mentioning it. Okay. Yeah. And I've been wanting to see that film for so long. Yeah, I don't know how. I, I, it played in L.A. actually in a, it, at uh, Cine Family uh-huh. about three years ago, right, right after we wrapped. It huh. played, and that was like the first movie I saw after the Midnighters wrapped, and it was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is also filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. But, you know, so that's, that's and, and if you can pull one out of your hat. I mean, the, the cult thing, I mean, I, I'm going to say like, like Rocky Horror or something. Like, what am I going to say? I know, say? I like know. I, but you know. you're a, that's cool. You're a musical dude. I'm a musical dude. Yeah. And he really is. Yeah. We appreciate you coming out. Go back to your showing so you can see how people react to your film and enjoy that because that's, well, that that's, that's the best part. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for coming on. That was awesome. Yeah. We really appreciate it. You got it. Michael, welcome to Cult Film and Review. I'm just going to read the synopsis here. It's uh, based on the life of artist Leonard Zimmerman. Happy is the story of one man's journey through the storm and his desire to share the sunshine he found on the other side of it. Exploring love, loss, grief, and overcoming obstacles, the incredible healing power of artistic expression, Happy will touch, inspire, and leave you with a contagious smile. That's great. So... It- my, I, I yeah. want to jump in on that jump since in. you since you already said that you're getting some flack for the for the synop- for the synopsis. Yeah, so what are, been, what are people saying about it? Well, a couple people have said that they don't think it's an adequate description of the film. Okay. Oh. Uh, I think it sums it up pretty pretty easy. I mean, it sounds good to me. I didn't see any problems with it. So I mean, it's intriguing. I mean, really. So so tell us a little bit about the experience making the film. Um, how long it took you? What the you know what what inspired you to actually create this to create the film yeah. uh, uh, Leonard started following me on Instagram so it was initially a social media connection mm-hmm. and uh, that turned into a Facebook connection and through that I went to his website where I discovered the TED talk mm-hmm. that had he had just given and was uploaded to YouTube mm-hmm. and it was 12 minutes long and really powerful and it stuck with me for about six months and I was in a hotel room in Las Vegas working. 6.15 in the morning, my alarm goes off, and it's the, he's the first thing on my mind. And, and we don't really know each other, just, you know, except in that way that people kind of know each other when you only know each other through social media. Sure, yeah. Right? So he's the first thing on my mind, and I'm not even awake yet. And I think to myself, somebody should make a film about that guy's life. Mm-hmm. And I literally heard an audible voice in the room say, you, wow, Whoa. you should make this film. And every hair, and there's a lot of them on my body, <laughs> stood on end. And I, and I bolted upright in bed, and I ran down to the, I shucked on some jeans, and I ran down to the lobby, and I got a cup of coffee. And I paced the room for half an hour until I had to go to work. Yeah. Because I knew I was going to make my first film. Uh-huh. Wow. That's awesome. So were you freaked out? Were you like, wow, where, the, where the hell do I start? Like... I had a I had I had a, an idea where to start because I had worked with a jazz singer for five years mm-hmm. and we had done some mu- music video production work together so I had some people I could reach out to to get started but the thing was reaching out to Leonard who didn't really know me from a can of paint right. and saying hey I want to make a movie about your life and by the way I've never made a movie so. <laughs> So, do you, you, have, you really have to trust me on this? Did you have any prior experience, like working in film? And, no, you know, none, zero. That's awesome. Yeah, we've done fourteen film festivals since September. Oh wow, it's yeah. quite the tour. <laughs> yeah, oh, hey, you can't go to all. Of them. I can't afford to go to all. Yeah, of them. yeah, I hear you. In fact, we we had to raise all the money to make Happy through crowdsourcing and social media. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. So, so what is the what is the general reaction you're getting when you sit in uh, on a screening with your film? Is it like 
are people hitting in all the right places? Like, you know, seeing all, you know, the moments that you saw that were magical about the film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny because the film isn't always happy. Right. And in, in fact, that's kind of the whole point is that life isn't always, you know, sunshine and roses. And sure. it's a, at its core, it's a film about grieving and how there's no template for grieving. Mm -hmm. And we all sort of do it in our own way. And, and Leonard took the long way around. Mm -hmm. And he was finally able to use his own artwork as therapy oh, okay. to pull himself out of his, you know, long battle with grief, depression, and substance abuse. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So it was, uh, it was, you know, the, the subject matter could be delicate at times. But it's interesting to, to sit in on screenings and to hear people laugh and cry in all the same places. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a few things in the, in the film, some, some funny moments that are kind of quirky. And it's always interesting when the audience doesn't get it. You know, when, when they, when they don't laugh in that spot where, Hey, they were, that cracked everybody up in San Luis Obispo. Yeah. What do you mean? Nobody's laughing here. Interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's like a social experiment, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, so how long did it take you to make the film? Uh, it's funny. I was at the Savannah film festival. It was the second festival we got into and we've been like, it's been really amazing. We have been nominated for either best feature documentary or best feature in nine of the 14 film festivals wow. so far. So, uh, uh, we were in Savannah and I was sitting across the table from the, uh, filmmaker. I didn't know it, but I, I sat across the table from the guy who won the award for best documentary. Mm. And it, it took, he was telling me, it took me, you know, four years to make my film. Mm. And he said, how long did it take you? And I said, nine months. Because <laughs> it really did. From the time we started shooting to the world premiere was nine months. Like, and oh, by the way, I've never made a movie Actually, before. Yeah. <laughs> just no, to throw I that just, out like, there. You know, when people don't tell you it has to be hard or that you can't do this or you right. can't do that, you don't know you can't do this. Right, right, right. Yeah. So there was a lot of beginner's luck and, and I worked yeah. with a super competent team. Yeah. You know, my cinematographer and my editor are both very mm. talented yeah. and I asked a lot of questions and they both... Uh, were very kind and, and not telling me my ideas were crazy. Mm -hmm. That's well, good. Oh, I, yeah, I've never done that before, but uh, yeah, we can try that. Yeah, awesome, mm -hmm. yeah. That's, that's, that's what it's about. It's it's It comes down to like getting a good team around you because... I collaboration. Mean, yeah, the collaboration is, is so important in, in filmmaking, especially if you're new to it. I mean, you have to... I think that what that's what makes like a really great filmmaker, someone who is really good at putting the right people in the right place to do the job, you know, and managing that from there and getting right. Well, that's, that's the key to a successful producer too, right? They, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing this is my first rodeo, <laughs> yeah. but that's what I understand is that you put the key people in place right, and, right. Yeah. and you keep the director in their bubble. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> so what's on the, um, you know, what, what's, what's the goal for the film? I mean, you're obviously doing a festival tour. Are you hoping to get a big distribution deal? Yeah, of and, course. Yeah, yeah, cool. Of course. It's very interesting. I did a, um, uh, I had a consultation with somebody who uh, strategically helps get people into film festivals. That's what they do. Cool. I won't mention his name or the company's name because they've really not been very helpful. But he did give me a couple bits of very uh, solid advice. He said, I think part of the reason you're not getting into more festivals is because the content isn't edgy or political. Mm. Okay, and and a lot of the programming directors, especially when it comes to documentaries, they're looking for content that's 
political or edgy. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but what he did say was that should not affect your chances of getting distribution as long as you can get, you know, without getting into the major festivals, mm-hmm. you know, where, where uh, acquisition people are coming to look for product. Sure. You have a, you know, it's a, it's a steeper hill to climb, essentially, to get to find distribution. Right. But he said this has that commercial potential. Yeah. That, that, that you need to get distribution. Yeah. So well, it's a I, mixed I, bag. A lot of companies now, you know, distribution companies are, are really dipping into documentary. You know what I mean? I mean, because... Oh, especially Netflix. Well, yeah, because yeah. a lot of those major platforms are, are, are doing really well with documentary. You know, like... A lot of us consumers, you know, are just, you know, like the true life, the real life stuff, you know, so, so, you know, it's, it's the uh, better end of, of reality viewing, right? right? Yeah. Like documentaries yeah. versus trashy. the real housewives of wherever. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think it's where people's, ta- where people's tastes are definitely going. Cause I was just talking to someone last night and he, YouTube changed their algorithm and it actually promotes uh, videos over 10 to 12 minutes in length now. So it means the general masses of people are more interested in watching something that's in-depth and has content and not so much just mass quantity, which I thought was strange because I've just always thought we've been living in this world where everything's just fast, 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 fast. Right, and, and if, like, you, if it's not three minutes or under, you lose yeah. their attention span, yeah. which is the way it's been for a while. Yeah, I feel like it has, especially with the, with the youngins nowadays, <laughs> you know? Right. They can't be bothered with uh, anything over 10 minutes. Yeah, well, you know, it's the it's, it's the, too deep. I can't spend too long. Yeah, there. right. <laughs> the music video editing, you know, where there's a cut every two seconds. If it goes beyond that, you know, people, what, this is slow. It's yeah. like, come on, guys. Well, they'll like our film then because it's really got a pace. Good. good. Uh, I loved the film uh, Finding Vivian Meyer mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. about the photographer. Right, mm-hmm. right. And I thought it was brilliant, and I really loved the pace and the editing. And so when we went into it, I. I, before we even started filming, I told my editor, who was the, the first person on right. board, I want something with that kind of pace. Yeah, you, you kind of modeled it a little bit from that. A little That's bit. That's great. I mean, every film, every film and every filmmaker kind of stems from something that inspired them, you know, that they've seen, oh, I want to try to do something similar to that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Did you see Iris? Uh, no. About Iris Apfel? No, I didn't. Yeah, so it's kind of, a, it's kind of those two films. Cool. Yeah, lots That's of visuals. Lots of visuals. That's great. Um, so because we're a cult film podcast, I just want to throw this one at you real quick. What's, you, what's your favorite cult film? Or do you watch cult films? Oh, Female Troubles. Oh, yes! There we go. Oh, we, yeah. just, we, we just reviewed that a few. John uh, Waters tattooed on my arm. That's how much yeah, I like nice. his work. Nice. <laughs> I didn't see that. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. a great answer, yes. And we just did, yeah. we just did yeah. an episode for Female Troubles. You just Trouble. made Chris's yeah. day right oh, there. Yeah. Oh, cool. Because <laughs> I don't expect to get you know that answer, I yeah. feel like. But that's, that's great. Um, so I'd uh, rather drown in a pool of snot. <laughs> There's so many great lines. Yeah, that film. I, I won't even get into it. We'll be going back know, and forth all day. But um, well, thank you, Michael, so do much. Do you have anything? Yeah. Um, do you want to plug? Do you want to plug oh, yeah. like the yeah. website or do you uh, sure. film? Um, HappyDocMovie.com. It's a terrible domain. <laughs> but, but so there's there there. Okay, just in this festival alone, there are five films with the word "happy" in the title, mm-hmm. and there's two documentaries called "Happy." And there was a major theatrical release documentary last year called Happy. So <laughs> all the good stuff was taken. Right. So happy doc is in documentary movie.com. You can watch the trailer. Uh, you can't buy it yet because we're holding out for distribution and we're not going to you know, kill our chances of, sure. by putting it out there. But you can learn more about the film there and you can even send away for happy stickers. And just the film is about the guy behind the sticker. So the sticker came first and then the movie. That's, yeah. that's it. All right. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Michael, for being here on Thank the show. You. Um, 
And uh, we'll, we'll hopefully see the movie come out very shortly. Hopefully, yeah. All right. Awesome. All right, thanks for being All here. All right, thank, thank you. you. All right, guys, so we are about to sit down with Louisiana. And you can correct me on this already because I'm going to screw it up. Last name is... Kreutz. Kreutz. Uh, she is the director of Quaker Oaths. If you don't know what this movie's about, let me tell you. When Quakers get married, they ask every wedding guest to sign their marriage certificate. It's a sweet tradition that signifies the importance of community. But when Joe and Emily want to get a divorce, that sweet tra tradition creates an unexpected challenge. Now they must get every guest to cross their name off to make the split official. That is an interesting concept. That is a very interesting concept. Where did this concept come from? Well, yeah, this whole idea for the movie was based on a joke that I had with some friends at a wedding. I went to a Quaker wedding with a bunch of friends, and we were standing in line to sign the marriage certificate, which is what you do at every Quaker wedding. And as we were waiting in line, we were, like, joking about, well, what happens when they get divorced? We're going to have to cross off our names. And then we're like, that sounds like a romantic comedy. And then <laughs> joking about it, oh, it'll be called Quaker Oaths. And that was like seven years ago or so. And so we kept joking about it. And then a couple of years ago, I wanted to make a movie and I was screen, you know, working on different ideas for movies. And it just kept coming back to me, the Quaker Oaths idea. I was like, I just want to make this movie. It seems stupid, but I want to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a road trip comedy about a couple that wants to get a divorce and they have to go around to everyone who came to their wedding. First film? Yeah, I've worked a lot in documentaries, so I have a bunch of documentaries under my belt that I've mm -hmm. been the editor and producer and director cool. on, but this is my first narrative, so it feels like the first movie to me, sure. even though I've been been around. Different structure completely, huh? Yeah, yeah. very, very different beast, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, more challenging or less challenging? I kind of feel like maybe more challenging. Maybe I, I'll... I might take that back the next time I work on a documentary, but I think one thing that was hard is that it's a documentary, you know, if you want to change something or you, or if you want to add something to it, you can just keep going back to shoot more, whereas this, once we shot the principal photography, mm -hmm. I was kind of stuck with that batch, so mm -hmm. I couldn't just change little things anymore. So that felt harder, but I don't know. I think they're, they're both challenging. They're both rewarding. Sure, of course. In, in, in making this film, how long did it take you to get this all together? You said, so you got the idea seven years ago. Then you wrote it. How long did it take you to, to write it? Yeah, it's probably like five years after the wedding that I started actually working on it. And it was probably about a year worth of writing the script. And then once I had the script going, I was kind of doing pre-production at the same time. And so then we shot for a couple months on and off, like about 25 days total. And then it was another like six months to a year of post-production, just, you know, putting it together, having screenings and showing, getting feedback from friends and colleagues. So... It was probably about a two-year process overall. That is, that is a long time commitment. Yeah, well, <laughs> compared to some documentaries I've worked on, it's like not—it's nothing. I worked on a documentary that people were working on for like seven years. So. Wow, wow. So this was nothing. I think two years is like a so blank. Going from doing documentaries and then having to work with actors and actresses, what was that like as far as direction? Yeah, that was a new experience, although I'd done some plays, so I had some experience, but it was pretty different, and I liked that part of it. I really liked working with the actors, and I have, my two leads are so good. They're both, the, the main male lead, Alex Dobrenko, is a really good improv actor, so he brought a lot to the, to the film. Like He improvised a lot of the funniest lines in the movie. It was all just him making it up. And then our main actress, Fede Rangel, is awesome as well. Like She's really good at, at like playing along with him and then coming up with her own stuff. So I really I loved working with those guys. What do you think the biggest challenge was making this film? 
definitely the biggest challenge was um, the post-production. Because it was really, I edited it myself, which people tell you not to do with the work that you do. You know, you're not supposed to just edit your own stuff. And that's pretty hard because, you know, usually you get so mad at whoever was shooting it for, like, forgetting to do X, Y, or Z. But this time all I could do is be mad at myself. I'm like, oh, why didn't I think to have them come in the door as they're talking instead of after they talk, you know, whatever it is. So I was editing on my own and just kind of just beating my head against the desk. And then I'd have little screenings for my friends and I'd invite them to give feedback. And that was just brutal every time. Really? Because you ask people for feedback and it's like, you could give feedback on you know Citizen Kane you could start yeah. you know you can break apart anything and these are your friends these are my they were my friends you know me your no. friends are always like yeah no. it's great man it's that's great. not true They're bru- some, uh, the, the yeah. friends are usually the most brutal really yeah especially if you've invited yep. them to give feedback you know it's not like and then since I've had a lot cut yeah. everyone no one said a single mean thing about it like mm-hmm. I think when when I was actively looking for advice it was yeah. like open season and now <laughs> wow. and I think the movie got better after all sure. that too so there's less to critique but, yeah. but that was very hard nice to get that objective perspective because you get so tuned into it you're like no we have to have this scene because it then the movie doesn't make sense but then somebody outside of it's like no I get it like you don't need to you don't need to have this you know exactly yeah there's a couple scenes that everyone unanimously was like get rid of those scenes and I couldn't believe they wanted to but in the end it made total sense but yeah just having perspective is so hard Mm -hmm. you know you really can't tell for like things like pacing is really hard to get perspective on because it gets so boring to you so you feel like you need to yeah. keep making it faster and faster and then eventually you make it too fast and then you, you know it's hard did you find that um, when you sat down in a room to watch it with your friends like for the first time and you know you, you knew where they, they were going to be giving you feedback on it did you start seeing all the little flaws in the film simply because they were in the room with you? Yes, that is, that's an old trick I have from like all my editing days too. It's like the second, it could be like the janitor that walks in and the second there's another human body, I see the film from a totally different perspective and it's like, oh, that clearly isn't working. Now, because there's this warm body next to me, I can tell why it's not working, but that's exactly right. Yeah, Yeah. it's like a good indication that something's wrong that needs to be fixed because suddenly it becomes very apparent when you think you're being critiqued on it, you know? Exactly, yeah. The very first people I showed it to were my friends, and I picked them because it was, like, just a really, really, really rough cut. But I wanted to just show it to someone just to have that same feeling of, like, oh, other people are in the room. And I picked my friend Andrew because he says, he's like, I like every movie I've ever seen. He's like, I just like movies. I'm not cynical at all. I was like, oh, you'll be perfect. (laughs) And then I got it, and then we we had, like, all the lights down. I have a super comfortable couch. And he fell asleep in like five minutes. And I was like, oh, this is a bad sign. He's like, no, I was just really tired. I've been working in the sun all day. Oh, okay. But that was my very first screening. And that was, it's gotten, it's gone uphill since then. <laughs> okay, good. Well, it wasn't actually a snooze fest. No, I think ever since then, everyone's, my awake rate is 100%. I don't think it would have made it here if it was. So yeah, yeah, how exactly. do you feel about the Phoenix Film Festival? Your first time here? Or? Yeah, it's my first time here. And I'm, I could not be happier here. This has been such a great festival so far. I, um... You know, I I came out here and didn't I didn't do a lot of press leading up to that. I didn't do any, I guess, really. Mm-hmm. And the first night, last night, there was the almost completely full theater, like you know, almost 200 people in there, mm-hmm. and they were all strangers to me, but somehow they like saw it in the booklet and came on out and then like laughed at every joke and then mm-hmm. asked really thoughtful questions in the Q and A. It was like one of my best screenings we've had. It was really good. And another great one this morning. 
That's awesome. So I've been really happy. And then all like the volunteers here are so nice. I have a really nice liaison, Eileen, that's been really sweet and help like holding my hand through the whole process. <laughs> oh my gosh. But everyone's been so nice here. I can't get over it. Cool. So you'll come back. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm like, now I got to make a movie so I can come back. Right. right? Exactly. Very cool. So Cody, you want to throw a couple questions out? Yeah. What is your favorite cult film? Oh, interesting question. Um, I'm trying to think of what... Well, the first thing that popped in my mind just because of the constant image of the film festival is this Pulp, uh, the Pulp Fiction poster has been had Pulp Fiction on my mind. That might be my favorite, even if that's kind of a generic answer. But I don't think it's a generic answer. I just love no. it. I didn't see it for... I mean, I saw it when it came out, and I didn't see it for like 15 years, and I saw it again recently, and I was like... Damn, this really holds. I was obsessed with that movie throughout all of high school. That's pretty much all I watched was that movie. So I definitely get it. It's so good. Yeah, I always joke that Quentin Tarantino's is my is my favorite director, except I don't like violence. You know, like (laughs) interesting. I just like I just even like Hateful Eight. I really like that, except like I hate all the violent parts. Like if I could just cut those out, I would. would You like the conversation, the dialogue, yeah, the the, tension he makes, and the visuals and. Mm Very cool, very cool. Are, are you kind of just working with this film right now, or you got any new ideas on the... Uh, I have some new ideas, and it's, I, uh, it's actually been... I've had some writer's block. I have a couple of scripts I'm working on, and it's good to come here to this festival where everyone's just been so nice and complimentary of the film, of Qu- Quicker Oaths, and it's giving me some momentum. I, like, I, want, I can't wait to get back to my desk sure. and, keep, and start writing, because I have some ideas, but I want to... Yeah. I need I needed that little pep in my step. Yeah, it does give you a little. It's like when you you know when you go see a band, you want to go home and like play the guitar right away because you're like that was so awesome. Like you come off that adrenaline, you know. So I'd imagine it's the same for when you're you know people come to see your film and they're they're talking about it and you you know you're just like I can do it. I can do it again, you know. And exactly pumps you up. It does. I feel pumped up right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. I hope you have uh, an amazing future and a uh, happy showings from here on out. Um, yeah, where can people follow you on social media? Where can they follow your movie? All well, yeah. that stuff. Um, you know, we, we keep a pretty updated Facebook page for Quaker Oaths. And so if you haven't caught on yet, it's Quaker Oaths with an H at the end of it. So it's, a, it's like a pun on Quaker Oaths about marriage. So Quaker Oaths on Facebook. And um, we're we're looking for distribution right now. We're in talks with some people, so we want to get it out there, like on a like digital platform. So if you can't come see it at the festival, it'd be great to have it out there in another way soon. I hope so. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Louisiana, for being on yes, our show. Thank you. Great. Thanks but, for having yeah, me. Yeah, it's fantastic. We look forward to a lot of success for the film. Thank you, guys. Okay, so we're here with Marilena. She is a producer on the film. Marilena, thank you for being with us today uh, on Cult Film and Review. Tell us a little bit about the film, and you know, as a producer, you know, maybe some of the some of the ups and downs of of creating it and bringing it to life. Yeah, first of all, thank you for having me. Waking David is a UK film. It was all shot on location in three weeks' time. Um, so the process that kind of went about it is that it was developed through improvisation. So which means that it took about two years to actually come up with the script. So the actors came together and they actually started improvising characters. And as soon as they had their characters locked, they started working around the story. So it's quite an interesting process, like quite interesting, like quite similar to Mike Lee, for example, and Joe Casavides, uh-huh. and how um, the, the actors basically are also writers. So they kind of collaborate with the director very, very closely. Um, and the idea behind it is that we wanted to kind of 
show the kind of theme of like miscommunication, lack of communication in the modern world. Even though social media is kind of advanced and we can communicate in so many different ways, we're still isolated in how kind of, you know, secrets and lies and if we keep to ourselves can actually be damaging sure, sure. Yeah. wow so what made you say like with a movie that is pretty much improvised from from the sounds of it what made you say like this is the film that I want to make and I want to be a part of was it just the team itself or was it the the idea the concept it was a lot of things so the concept first of all but then the concept actually didn't come out until like later on we're talking about like maybe even a year in after the characters were developed so it was all about the kind of raw and authenticity and the reality I mean the performances are so organic so the dialogue the the characters and the actors are basically real they're themselves because they have been working on this for such a long time that in combination with the theme kind of just made me you know fall in love with it and I just you know had to be part of it Uh, First time producing something, yes or no? A feature film, yes. I've been doing a lot of short films, music videos. So yeah, that was my first feature film. What's the biggest challenge of being a producer? Mm, Just making sure that there's a balance, especially on set, because I was on set a lot, so I was actually managing the set. We were such a small crew, um, so I had to kind of double up. Um, So yeah, just having a good balance and making sure that everyone is kind of okay and feel comfortable. Maybe this was asked already. I'm sorry if I missed it. But but as far as shooting the film, how long did that take? Three weeks actually to shoot the film. Um, So that was like the shortest period, if you think about it, like the shortest (laughs) stage. Everything else was like ages, months. Um, No, but it was a lot of fun. And everything was done on location. So we had... um, an apartment that we're filming a house and everything was like done in London so like no sets or studios very cool yeah. that, sometimes that's the best way to go I think and the way a lot of filmmakers are going just on location find the spot that best suits what you're looking for or try to work with something or change it if you have to if you can't get a hold of something that you need exactly just, absolutely yeah so that's awesome um Cody why don't, why don't you throw her a couple couple questions so what do you think makes a cult film I think a cult film is something that stays with you when you watch it. So, like, it has a big statement or has a question that you're not even sure that you can answer yourself. And it kind of stays with you. And, yeah, it just, you know, it's, it's part of yourself in a, in a way or makes you kind of think that, you know, it, it might change you in some way or it might just, you know, be part of you and then you kind of always go back to it. So I think that's what kind of makes them... You know, cool. <laughs> Very cool. Well, what we found, uh, you know, in doing this show is, you know, sometimes it's like you see, you know, these films as a kid and you love them, you know, and they're they're so amazing. But then we want to go back and and either find out if they're still they're still good, they're still as magical as we remember, or if we just ruined our childhood in some way. So, have, have you found that there's films that you liked as 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 a kid that you've since watched as an adult and say, why did I like that movie or why did I think it was so great? I think it's the nostalgia behind it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It makes a big difference. I don't think I had the experience that I was loving a film before, and then when I rewatched, like, you know, 10 years later, I was like, no, like, I I hate it. (laughs) I think it's just, like, the kind of feelings, and obviously when you're, like, much younger, you're, like, more innocent, like, it kind of stays with you, so I I don't think it would change much. Oh, I I wish I could be like that. This this show has ruined so much of my childhood. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Thanks, guys. Hey, you volunteered. Yeah, I did. Right. <laughs> do you have any like new upcoming projects that you're working on? I do actually have another film, a UK one that was shot in East London on location, and it's currently in post-production. So hopefully we'll have that done in a couple of months' time. Nice. 
You're just not taking a break, are you? No. I was actually filming both of them at the same time. So one was in production and the other one was in pre-production. So. It's like that's part of it, though. You kind of have to stay on it. You have to stay relevant, stay busy, you know, stay involved because, like, that's how you get... You meet people, you get on another project. You meet more people, you get on another project. And pretty soon, that's what you do. Absolutely. And the chaos of, like, being so busy as well just helps you be even more creative and give it all you have, basically. Yeah. Really yeah. keep you on your toes, right? Absolutely. Where can people find you or, or learn more about the film? Um, you can follow us on social media at Waking David on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm. And my name is Marilena Paruti, so you can also follow follow me and find out about what I'm up to, but also about the, the journey of the film. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Thank Enjoy you. Enjoy your yeah. film fest. Thank yeah. you very Thanks much. Thanks for coming to Phoenix. Yeah. Definitely. Love it. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, we are here with uh, Dan Zerwanka. Um, you did a film called Miriam's Balloons. That's right. Thanks for having me. And here's a little bit of the synopsis. They gave you a quick one here. Atropis, a young angel of death, risks everything to save her only friend, Miriam. That's right. And uh, you were telling me a little bit about this last night after you saw me embarrass myself on a stage. <laughs> man, that was amazing uh, karaoke. I don't know what you're talking about. Horrible. <laughs> Nailed oh, it. Oh, man, I think I killed the mood that night. <laughs> but you were telling me it has a lot to do with like a, like a Greek uh, mythology. Yeah. So, I'm going to let you do it. No, it's cool. Um, so where I got the idea was uh, the Zeus's three daughters, uh, Clothos, Lachesis, and Atropos, uh, like, they call them the three fates of Greek mm-hmm. mythology, right? And so... One of them spins the web of the thread of life, the other one sets the length, and then the third one, Atropos, is the one who severs it at the end of life. Basically sends your soul, you know, back up to the heavens. So I thought it'd be cool to do her as a little girl, and she sees souls as, you know, colorful balloons. So she kind of wanders around eternity with her magic scissors, just snipping balloons. And I kind of got the idea, too, because, like, parents... They make their kids do things and they pretend like it's a game, mm-hmm. you know, but it's really they just want you to do some do something for them. And uh, so basically Zeus is like, you know, go, you know, kill people for me yeah. through eternity. <laughs> wow. And uh, so so she does that. And the, and the thing is with death, you know, you, you don't really see her till the very end, like the split second that she that you die. Right. right and right. so um, but but again, she meets a little girl who has terminal cancer. And so she visits her very often and take, keeps taking balloons from her until she's down to her last balloon. Right. And, of course, this little girl, like, all she's known is death. And kids, they don't develop the same fears as adults and things. So um, she's not afraid of her, and she's able to see her and becomes friends with her. And so so now when Atropos has to take her last balloon and kill her only friend ever, mm-hmm. you know, she basically holds onto it and, and basically kind of, well, she goes on a killing spree and rounds up a whole bunch of balloons to bring her friend back and, like, defying God, you know. And, of course, there's another twist to the film, too, which, which is a kind of, you know, you can't, you can't change fate. Um, even though you'll do whatever it takes to save the people you care about. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she tries, and then something else happens, and then it, it, fate, you know, still plays itself out. But, um, yeah, it was, yeah, it, it was tough because, like, one, I didn't realize how hard it would be to work with balloons outdoors. <laughs> like, oh, my God, keeping the balloons tangled, like, untangled and keeping the colors correct. Yeah, yeah. Because if one person, like, we had some hero balloons, and it always has to be the same color and the same amount of helium in it. Um, and then, like, working with kids, too. You know, they say don't work with kids and animals. And Yeah. How, how so was that for you, working with I got I got super lucky. Um, yeah? Yeah. I mean, 60% of my work was done just in the casting, you know. Um, the other thing with little kids is they can only work for so many hours a day. And if it's during school days, they have to have a set coach and all that. So we did it on, like, non-school days. Mm-hmm. And the, the parents were really cool. Um, and the kids, 
the kids only have a certain amount of attention span, so you kind of have to keep them focused. But um, I was able to do that, and, and, and there's not a lot of dialogue in this film, so it's a lot of looks and emotion. Mm-hmm. And as a director, it was a good challenge to try to get that out of little kids, you know? Right, yeah. And, I mean, you, if you watch the movie, there's a lot is said just with looks and movements, and I think there's only four lines of dialogue, and, and it's a 10-minute film, you know? Um, so that was really tricky, but... Oh, the other thing I got really lucky with is a, a buddy of mine, Brian Langsbard, is a really good, like, Emmy-nominated composer. And so he watched the film, and he's like, he's like, I got to score this. He's like, it's going to be amazing. And I was like, whatever you say, man, you know? And so, <laughs> I'll leave it in your hands. Yeah, yeah so, music to your ears, literally. <laughs> right, so he called me up, and he's like, dude, come over and check this out. And I went into the studio, and, and we watched it, and I was just like, holy crap, this is amazing, you know? He, he, like, he literally composed a, a waltz um, that has sort of a... Um, like a Danny Elfman kind of feel, Tim okay. Burton feel to it, and which I love. I mean, Edward Scissorhands is like my all-time favorite movie, and uh, and you know I grew up with like Beetlejuice and stuff like sure. that too. So, so there's sort of a nod to that, you know. Um, and then of course, I don't know if you've ever seen the short um, La Ballon Rouge, which is the the Red Balloon. It was a film from the 50s um, in France. It was it's the only short film to ever win an Oscar for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Yeah, I think um, I did see that in college, but uh, can't yeah. remember it very well. <laughs> yeah, and I actually tried. I, I tried really hard. The little boy that's in my movie, I tried to get like a wardrobe that looks just like the kid from the Red Balloon, mm-hmm. and I found shoes that matched for like a dollar at a thrift store. But I couldn't get. I couldn't find a wardrobe, and I couldn't afford to have someone make it. So he's got a different outfit, but I mean, I'm still happy with it. So I got sure. like nods to different people in that film, you know. That's awesome. Was this your first film, or it is? Yeah. Oh, great. Um, yeah, I actually was. So I worked for a Wall Street law firm. I was as a lawyer for like five years, uh-huh. and I got really burnt out on that. And I always wanted to make movies, and um, and I'm mainly an actor. So, but I thought, you know, I'm sick of like I, like if I'm going to be on set, I don't want to be intimidated by these by these big productions, you know. And I'm like, I'm sick of being scared of and over and intimidated. So. I started just PAing for free on sets, and then I started gripping, and then I started gaffing. Actually, gaffed Sharknado three. <laughs> nice, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, I don't know that anyone has ever had the challenge of figuring out how to light the inside of a great white shark as it's burning up, re-entering the atmosphere from space. So, <laughs> can't so, say that I have. Do you well, know? Was there a lot of uh, research for that? Or? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Oh my god! It, but it, it turned out it was amazing. Um, so that was really cool, and then. Uh, I actually built a, like a big gim- I do a lot of drone work too so I built like this big steady cam like a Movi but bef- kind of before Movies came out mm-hmm. and uh, I-, I saw what they were doing for 5Ds and I was like I want to build one for a cinema camera so I built one of those and after like two years of programming it actually worked and then I started shooting features like doing steady cam and gimbal work like that wow and uh, yeah so but I just like I like everything about filmmaking you know yeah and then and then I, I was like Kind of got. I also kind of got sick of propping up people who didn't deserve it because, like, on low budget or no budget projects, or 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 even some projects that do have money, but it's just like this like egomaniac who just wants to say he's a filmmaker, you right, know. Right. And then and then he gets this crew, and so like I have a lot of respect for crew because having worked crew so many hours, like fifteen and eighteen hour days, it's like those are the guys that make your movie, you know. Yep. Yeah. And so, I was like, I'm kind of sick of propping up all these guys that kind of don't deserve the the directing credit and making them look good, you know. Like I'd like a shot at it. Sure. And so I wrote this film and I showed it to one of my buddies who's a DP and he's like, dude, we got to make this film. I was like, really cool. You know, you like that that much. And he's like, absolutely, man. And I just showed it to a few people and people came out of the woodwork to work on it. Like people that I've worked on productions the years over the years before, yeah. like everybody worked for free. And like, I, I'm so appreciative and I'm, I'm so happy that it turned out and like, it was something that I'm proud of as a thank you for all their hard work, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. So hopefully this is the, the first of many. Um, 
and I, I learned a lot too. I mean, it was kind of my film school in a way because I learned a lot of what not to do. Right. And a lot of mis I edited it myself too, so um, I didn't have a proper workflow and all that, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I had to do a lot of cleanup. Um, but I had a lot of good friends that helped me out. So yeah, and, and do you think that's a result of you putting in so much time on other people's projects that it was like, yeah, you know, we you know, we're a community, we want to help you. You know, absolutely. And like, there's I don't know if you know that concept, the pig in the shot. And so there's basically like a lot of directors they don't really pay attention to like what has to happen behind the scenes for something to happen in their film. So like, if the director just is looking at a picture and he's like, you know what, would be great in here. I'd love to have a pig in the shot. And it's like, well, you can't really just make a pig happen. It's like, you got to have an animal wrangler and then you got to, you know, you got to feed the animal and then you got to have insurance and sure. blah, blah, blah. So it's like, is it really integral to your story? Mm -hmm. So having no money, um, I had to figure out like, what do I need to tell the story, right. you know? Right. Um, and, and stick to that and don't go wandering off on like these little kind of vanity things. Um, but absolutely working on the crew, it, it's, it made, it was made night and day difference because I, I know okay, if we, how much time do we need to light this shot, you know? Um, like, how much, how much juice do we need for the hazer, you know? Like, stuff you don't <laughs> think about. Um, and so, and also I try to be really patient because I've worked on a lot of projects where uh, directors or maybe department heads, they're not, they're not super patient with their people and they don't really realize what all is happening. Like, how many, how many stingers have to be run, you know? Like, we got 60 foot extinction cords that we have to run back there, so just give us a second, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, so you learn when to when to insist on things and when to kind of relax on things yeah i think you become one of the you'll become if, if not already one of those directors that people love working for because you do understand like the the you know the, the, the complete process you know from oh, being like you. a grip so. and a gaffer and an actor and all the things that go into it like i feel like right. that's how you can really get people on your team because you know it's like you know they say oh you're an actor's director you know and that's because that director understands actors but you understand everything uh, so well, it's like I'm, I'm getting there yeah. like but thank you yeah I mean working inside you know the, the, the studio system which I'm assuming you do yeah, you know actually, it's I, like I, I've been shooting American Ninja Warrior um, as like the action camera operator oh, like, cool yeah, so <laughs> that was supposed to shoot this weekend actually in New Mexico but I'm like I'm not missing my film premiere this is my first right? film you sure. know? Nice. of course how are you enjoying so, Phoenix uh, oh I love Phoenix I yeah. actually came to the festival uh, two years, two or three years ago, and um, I have some friends that live in Mesa, mm -hmm. and my uncle actually used to live in Scottsdale. But um, I met a filmmaker, Elise Solomon. She did the uh, Los Wild ones. I don't know if you, it was here a couple years ago, and I just met her at the festival, and we ended up becoming friends. And she actually gave me notes on this, and oh, that was cool. like three years ago. So you know, it, nice. it's been a, like everybody's so friendly and so nice. Cool. Um, so it's been great. Yeah. yeah. You don't feel like you have to like pretend to be somebody here. Or, no. You know, like I've been to some festivals where you're like, you know, you got to do the whole red carpet thing. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, it's I mean, I've done. I try to go to Sundance every year, um, and it's sort of like I mean, I love Sundance. It's like one of my favorite festivals, but it, it kind of feels like a film market now more than a film right. festival. Yeah. And everybody's going there to sell and you know looking for deals and everything, and you just happen to get a screen them all too. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of that LA air and vibe. I actually like going because it's the best time of year to snowboard because nobody's on the mountain during Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> All the hotels are full of people, film filmmakers, you know. Right. Um, but that's why I, I, yeah, just everybody's so nice at Phoenix and they're so helpful, you know. Mm -hmm. They give you actual phone numbers like you need anything, text us, you know. Sure. Yeah. So and even the parties, it's not like everybody's not trying to front and be all serious. It's like right. let's have a beer and hang out, you yeah. know. Or sing a really yeah, bad rendition of uh, karaoke. Let's get on stage. Yeah. Oh, right. Into the darkness. <laughs> I know. Get real hammered and and sing a song. Yeah, my brother signed me up for Wagon Wheel and I got up there and. First of all, I thought it was the Darius Rucker version, and, but it was like the old Crow Medicine Show version, which yeah, is much yeah. slower. Mm -hmm. And also, 
I'm a terrible singer, <laughs> but like I could hear myself. Like it felt like the speakers were turned around on me so that I could hear my how bad I was. <laughs> just looking That's at what me. I felt up there too. I was just like, I don't sound good, so everyone must be suffering. Uh, oh man, I've never been point. so happy to, to look out onto a disinterested audience. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we asked this. We asked this to everybody uh, because we are a cult film podcast. Absolutely. Uh, um, what do you think makes a cult film? Like, what do you think is the integral? You know, ingredient. I think a cult film is. Um, to me, it's a it's a film that maybe it had a theatrical release and it kind of people forgot about it or it was never really popular. Uh-huh. And then somehow a few years later, maybe on demand or video rentals or whatever, like it started developing this crazy following of people who really love it, you know. And like I'm from I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, and we have the Big Lebowski Fest every year there. Oh, uh-huh. And so like to me, the Big Lebowski is a great cult film. I, I mean, mean, it's one of the biggest. Problems. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think it's it, I call it like I call them slow rollers. It's yeah. like they didn't have maybe they didn't have an amazing box office release, but they ended up getting this huge following that ends up lasting 20, 30, 40 years. You know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Any yeah. favorites from you? Any favorite cult films? Um, well, like probably probably Big Lebowski. Um, one crazy summer was a yeah. was is one of my favorites. Um, yeah, and then uh, obviously like Edward Scissorhands. I don't know if that's a cult film, but um, it certainly has its own kind of following. Well, somebody I said was, Beetlejuice earlier, yeah. so we'll take okay. Edward Scissorhands. No, no I, I think pretty much anything Tim Burton touches is considered a cult film, just cool. because he's he's got his own style. Yeah, yeah, pre two thousand. Oh, yeah, totally. Before True. he started doing every Alice in Wonderland movie. <laughs> oh man, yeah. yeah. Where he yeah. sold out to Disney, that yeah. son of a bitch. No, he's <laughs> been sold out to Disney forever. But do you have any favorite indie films right now? Like um, anything you've seen recently that's kind of up and coming that you just were blown away by? Um, well, I, I mean, actually, there was a film in my block, the Live Shorts A block, which which is called uh, The Babysitter Murders. Oh, I mean, it's like a 22-minute oh. short. Yeah. But holy crap, it's so good. Um, th- like they hit so many genres and so many like little horror cliches but in a cool way innovative way mm-hmm. I thought that was amazing um, but I'm actually I have a, a film that, that I'm in pre-production on right now that I'm working on it's called The Hills Only Have Eyes For You <laughs> love it um, yeah my buddy David Stevie wrote it and it's uh, it was a top five in the final draft screenwriting competition cool and it's basically The Hills Have Eyes but um the, the younger brother doesn't want to kill people anymore. He's a veg- secretly a vegetarian, and he tries to when this this like group of travelers comes through, he uh, secretly tries to help them escape <laughs> while his family's trying to kill him. Um, so that's uh, hopefully something that you know we've had some meetings on it, and hopefully we'll pick up steam. Um, but David, he's the writer of the film. It's a cult favorite, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, he wrote that film. So I'm actually producing a short for him called Wait for It. Um, we're sh- we have one more shoot day on the 22nd. Um, so, but it's starting to get like blog reviews now, so you can check that out. Nice. Um, and because they're trying to drum up more interest for a sequel to the uh, the Rise of Leslie Vernon, so cool. Uh, keep that, keep in mind for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. or keep your eye out for that. Where can people follow you at on social media? Um, on social media, um, I actually got off Facebook in November after the elections. I was just sick of listening to everybody's <laughs> political rants. Right, right. Um, so I'm on uh, Instagram at uh, Tiny Danzer. So it's T-I-N-Y-D-A-N-C-Z-E-R, which is like the first part of my last name, yeah. so Tiny Danzer. Uh, so Instagram is like the best place to find me, or danzerwonka.com, of course. Cool. Awesome. All yeah. right. Well, thanks for joining us. We thanks appreciate it. Yeah. Have it's a good fun. festival. Appreciate it.
All right, that's our Phoenix Film Festival episode. I really appreciate you guys checking it out. I'm sure as the filmmakers do. If you want to follow these filmmakers, make sure you go to coldfilmandreview.com because we'll have all of their social media accounts available that they gave us uh, for you to follow there. And you can link to them and talk to them about their films if you'd like. Stuff like that. Thank you to the Phoenix Film Festival. Thank you, International Sci-Fi and Horror Film Festival. And also, remember, if you're going to join a cult, let's make sure they watch good movies. We'll see you next week.